we are in the series called Footsteps of Jesus, which is here together, Footsteps of Jesus, all right? And uh, we are kind of a taking a posture of 50,000 square feet or 50,000 kilometer or whatever, okay? Really up high, view on the entire three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. Uh, so the goal was every week we kind of give you a couple of facts, uh, then eventually point all of us to footsteps that we can follow about Jesus. And I know different preachers kind of take it a little bit differently. We kind of always give a broad a base for different preachers to take whatever God puts in their heart. You know, when I think about footsteps of Jesus, I cannot help to think that Ultimately, every one of us follows someone's footsteps. So if you're an entrepreneur, you potentially love to follow footsteps of uh, if you're an investor or trading, Warren Buffett, you know. I mean, every one of us like to follow someone's footsteps. And uh, when I kind of look at my life, uh, the reason I play badminton was because my dad plays badminton, my brother plays badminton, so I play badminton. And uh, my brother is a guitarist, so I kind of took on that as well. Uh, by the way, all of us play. It's just I play better. I'm just kidding, okay? Just kidding, okay? And my brother is a guitarist, so I, I play the guitar as well. My brother is a chess player, so I also play chess. We kind of take on that little footstep. So as I think about footstep, I thought about the other day, me and my wife, we were laughing at a particular story, uh, which is a story of when my, my daughter was very young. As about three to five years old, uh, one of her favorite things was just to entertain guests. So every time when someone comes to our house and then we call back and then, oh, Joanna is there, then we, we know it's in good hand because she's the most uh, friendly, she can talk, she can entertain guests. When she was very young, so she really loved to do that. Uh, but because she saw us doing it so many times, and I will never forget, one time my wife's friend came and visited us. And uh, so being four-year-old, Joanna, she sat down, she was talking, trying to strike a conversation with them. So she asked them a question. How's your parenting? <laughs> and, uh, and the friend, they were laughing away and then told us, your daughter is the best, man. I mean, four-year-old asked us parents, how is our parenting, okay? Uh, and, and the reason she did that was because she just followed our footsteps. She kind of saw us, you know, asking about how's your relationship, how are you, how, you know, and then she kind of take on that. So all of us are designed to be creature that we will actually follow the footsteps. Uh, there's no other better person than to follow, actually, is the footsteps of Jesus. So every week as we navigate the Bible, we want you to walk the way. I think these are the footsteps that I can follow. Now, uh, today we're going to talk about Jesus empower us. But I want to throw you another Latin word that I want you to be familiar with. It's called Missio Dei. Everybody say it together, Missio Dei, right? Missio Dei is one of those, if you are somewhat in an academic world, Missio Dei is a big word. And it's Latin because that's the official language for Rome after Greek. And uh, Missio Dei simply means God's send or the mission of God. Uh, it is a very rich meaning, and I will eventually derive at that as we kind of navigate through today. But Missio Dei is trying to help us, and by then, Missio Dei, they were trying to differentiate between Missio Ecclesia, which is the church mission or God's mission. And it is a big concept to help us to understand that every one of us church exists. Our mission it doesn't really belong to us. 
we are really called to do what God has called us to do. We are called to embrace the very vision and the mission that God has given unto us. Uh, so we're going to work through that, and I'll come to the part where Missio Day was birthed out of a particular passage in the Bible, and then we'll come to that, okay? Now, so for today, what was interesting was, as I was searching the Bible, I wanted, because this is a last message of the series, Footstep of Jesus. So we kind of worked through the life of Jesus. So last weekend, we worked through the resurrection of Christ. So today, we're going to talk about the days after the resurrection. But I was more, interesting, more interested to talk about footsteps that we can follow. So I'm looking for days after resurrection and also days after the days after resurrection. Are you with me? All right, so I'm kind of wanting to find that passage. And I thought the best passage really to capture that is really 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 8. Uh, because Paul was writing to the church in Corinth uh, about 20 over years after Jesus resurrected. Uh, so you must understand, post-Jesus resurrection, the gospel grew. So when Paul was writing to Corinth, Corinth, uh, where did Jesus resurrect? Nobody. Jerusalem, that's, what, that's, that's when he was killed, buried, and resurrected. So Jesus resurrected in Jerusalem. Corinth is about 3,000 kilometers away. 20 over years later, in Corinth, people were wondering, uh, did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? Okay, now, so this passage was very interesting because the first two verses, Paul was trying to tell us days post-resurrection, uh, the days after resurrection, after the days after resurrection. Okay, days after resurrection. Okay, okay. So he was trying to tell us, he says, these are the footsteps you want to follow Jesus. Okay, we'll come to this verse a little bit later, but let me read to you. At least he says, now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preach to you, I receive which you stand, by which also you are being saved. This whole concept of gospel was popularized by Paul. You will find that Jesus did not popularize the concept of gospel, though he did one or two times. Jesus popularized the concept of kingdom of God. But it was Paul who trying to take an evolution of the good news of God, starting from Genesis, which is the, the concept of shalom, which is the concept of the peace of God that surpasses, and went through an evolution to come to a point where in the New Testament, Paul actually uses the word good news or gospel to crystallize what it means. And Paul is trying to say, because of the gospel, you need to have at least four levels of relationship. He says, when it comes to the gospel, you, you need to know that you are saved by the gospel. This gospel, you need to receive, and I'll come to that word a bit later when I talk about this particular verse. And then he says, you must stand with the gospel, and then you must preach the gospel. So Paul talked about the four different relationships that we must have with the gospel, all right? So these are the days after the days of post-resurrection, how we are supposed to follow the footsteps. Now, let me go back to the days after resurrection. So Paul here it is, trying to help people in Corinth, 20 over years after Christ's resurrection, who potentially will be like you and me, who wonder whether is resurrection real. So Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, 
Uh, the Greek word is actually in the, in the flowing of the Scripture. That means if you understand the flow of Scripture since Genesis, it's just a natural conclusion of Christ dying for each and every one of us, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Two times He said the word. And that He appeared to Cyphus. Cyphus is actually Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. So Paul is basically telling the Corinth people, he says, I want you to know that if you are ever wondering about did Christ resurrect from the dead, he says, there's a whole bunch of eyewitnesses that actually saw him. And more than half of them is still alive. All you needed to do is to go to Israel or Jerusalem, make a visit. These people will still tell you the moment when they saw Jesus alive, touch him, talk to him, ate fish with him, ate bread with him, he says he literally lived for 40 days before he ascended. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Who is James? James is the brother of Jesus. And that appearance is what moved James eventually to take on leadership for the church in Jerusalem and the one that wrote the book of James and the one that was martyred because of his faith in who the brother Jesus is, being God. And then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, many of you have potentially have ever wondered, so Jesus post-resurrection, how in the world did the entire Bible capture that? So if you work through Matthew 28, uh, Mark 16, John 20, and Luke 24, these four chapters, you piece together, this is the appearance of Jesus not reconciling that potentially some of them are together in one event. Let me just walk you through a little bit. So some of you might be interested in this. Uh, if you want to take a picture, let me stand next to it. No, I'm just kidding, okay? We will potentially make it available to the live group leaders and you can get it from there, okay? Now, the first two person that Jesus actually appeared is first is Mary Magdalene. The other woman, potentially there's about five of them. That's what's suspected. These are the two. These are the events that happened on Easter day. Easter day. So Jesus made five appearances. So on Easter day when he was born, when he was born blood, when he was resurrected, the first two people that he appeared is actually the women, which I want you to know historically, that doesn't make any sense if you want to actually prove resurrection. Why? Because women is the worst weaknesses not appreciated by the society. Nobody believes on women, but Jesus actually raised the status and he actually told the women. So the first two appearances was to women and you will find that the passages in the Bible that captures that. And then he appeared to two disciples at the road of Emmaus where he kind of walked with them and they told him about what happened today and then he eventually showed himself and then they were shocked because they met Jesus. After that, he actually at somewhere, he met Peter in Jerusalem. That's where Paul says he first met Cyphus. He, he did not cover the women, at least in the book of Corinth. Then later, he appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem that night. So, Luke 24 and John 20, this is potentially the same incident that actually covers from two different authors. But what was interesting was, if you read the Bible very carefully, that night, they were all appeared, they were all fearful, they were hiding in their room because fearful of the Jews uh, that will come and catch them. And then the Bible says, Jesus walked through the door and ta-da, and he says, peace be unto you. 
And then he showed them his hand. This is without Thomas. Uh, and then he ate with them. And then that's where we'll look at the scripture where he says that, my father sent me, so I send you. And then the Bible says, he breathed upon them, received the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, we won't go into in detail what's the difference between this and X 1-8 on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? All this has uh, different, different theological significance. We won't go to that. But basically, on the first day of Easter, Jesus made at least five appearances. Are you with me? All right? Now, then, eight days later, the Bible captured the story. Uh, it is where he appeared to Thomas. So Thomas only actually see Jesus touch his body eight days later, one week later. So can you imagine for seven days, the disciple of Jesus with Thomas in the upper room, Thomas will be like, no, no, I know you saw Jesus, but I don't believe it until I touch his body. I don't believe. So they have to live with Thomas. They potentially give him quarantine room. Stay by themselves. We give you food, okay? Because you always say that, you know, there's no, right? And eight days later, Thomas met Jesus, touched him, and then the Bible tells us later that he met the seven disciples at the Lake of Galilee where Peter was fishing and, and that's where Jesus restored Peter. The story came by from there. And then right after that, he met the 11 disciples on the mountain, most probably the Galilee, where he gave the Great Commission. And everybody knows that he stood at the mountain of Galilee. Look at the amount of villages, all those. He says, go ye therefore and make disciples. All authority I've given unto you. That was Matthew 28. Uh, it is also in that declaration that potentially he met the 500 as well. All this is another meeting. Nobody knows because the Bible did not chronologically tell you about Jesus' appearance. Then eventually he met with James, his own brother, and then at his ascension day, that's where Acts 1-8 comes by, and then eventually Paul. So now if you plus all this together, it is very clear, Jesus made maximum 12 appearances, if not he 11 appearances, or actually 10, depending on how you want to put some events together. But these are all the appearances based on the way each of the gospel captured that. All right, so fun facts, so that you kind of know these are the number of appearances that Jesus had post-resurrection, okay? Now, uh, during... During those times, for that 40 days, if you add on Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, and piece them together, it was very clear Jesus did only three things. Number one, Jesus comforted the disciples. So every time he met our disciples, he says, peace be unto you, uh, do not be afraid, it's me, I'm not a ghost, and he consistently do that. He comforted the disciples, which is actually a, a big thing about post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. You know why? Because the word, sim the word peace simply means is the God kind of peace, uh, which I, when I reflected on different one of us in our different season of life, that is something that we always need. Uh, whether you're COVID, whether you're non-COVID, whether you're afraid of COVID, it doesn't matter. Every season of life, we need God to, to move into our life and say, peace be unto you. The second thing that Jesus did was he instructed the disciples. So the road to Emmaus, he took time, he opened up from the book of Psalms all the way to the prophets. He explained to the disciple who he is. 
the Bible talks about him. He did that again in Luke, in Luke uh, 24, 44, 46. When he met the disciple, he opened up the Bible again. So he consistently tell him, tell the disciple who he is. He taught them Bible study. He taught them what does the scripture has to say about who he is. And finally, which is the most consistent thing that he did, in various accounts of all his 11 or 12 appearances, he commissioned the disciple, which is why the Great Commission is the only focus that was captured in the four gospel and eventually even in the book of Acts, chapter 1, when Jesus prior before he resurrected. Now, what was very clear was this, okay? In every one of them, he gave the Great Commission. And for all four different authors of the gospel, they captured it and they wrote it down according to what they felt they heard from God. And there's a little variances or different emphasis in each and every one of them when he gave the fall. Now, what I wanted to do was to zoom into John chapter 20, verse 21. So John 20, 21 was when Jesus appeared on the final hour of the first day, Easter, his fifth appearances. He walked into the room with all the disciples, without Thomas, and then the Bible says, Jesus said to them, he says, peace be with you. And then he immediately commissioned them. He says, would you read together? As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Now, that's big, you know, that's really big. I don't know how many of us really grabs that. So here it is, Jesus stepped into the scene and he told the disciples, he said, you know what? I'm resurrected. I was sent by my Father. And if you read the Bible very carefully, throughout Jesus' life, he consistently reminds himself, he says, I only do what my father wants me to do. I am sent by my father. It's not what I want. It's what my father wants. He consistently lived out a life where he only wants to please the heavenly father and he wants to do what God wants him to do. And then now resurrected, he says, now today, I send every one of you out and do what I have come to do. What has Jesus come to do? He has come to seek save the lost. He has come only to serve. He has come only to help people to understand who the Heavenly Father is. And today, Jesus said, now I send all of you. Someone once said that the greater event than the greatest event, which is God sending Jesus, was the day when we realized every one of us are sent by God. Because that is a continuous thing that's going on and on. So he says, no matter where you are, whether you're a, whether you're a chef, whether you are an engineer, whether you are a good badminton player, whether you are a doctor, whether you're a father, mother, insurance agent, whatever you are, he says, I want you to know that you are actually sent by God. God, Jesus said, I sent every one of you. And the next verse, he says, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's really a package. He says, just don't do it without, on your own strength. Always do it with the grace of God. You know, there's one thing that I am very passionate and I've always been to lead the church in such a way is to lead the church to really love the Great Commission. And, and you know it. You know that's my lifestyle. You know I meet people all the time, people who do not know God. I'm, I'm trying to help them to bring God into their world and trying them to connect with God. You know why? Because I think the summation of how much Bible you know 
the summation of how much encounter you have with God, the summation of Ashbury revival, everything comes to a point where so that we can take who God is and share it to the world. It really comes to that. It is not how much blessing I receive from God. It is not how much God has helped me to repair my car and, and help my house and help my kids and, and all of that. It's part of peace be with you, part of just understanding the Scripture that talk about who God is. But ultimately, having great commission is, is something that I hope everybody get it. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to one of our, uh, our couples. They are actually from our Chiras Church. And, uh, and, and, and they have been to, you know, just, just grew up in different churches and, and then now they are with us. And, and, and then the husband said this. The husband said, he says, Pastor Tim, I just want you to know that one of my greatest appreciation about every nation and the way you have led it is this. He says, since day one I joined the church, which is about maybe and a half, one and a half years ago, he says, you have never inspired us to always reach out to people. You have never he says, Great Commission has never been so alive, never been so real, and never been so refreshed for me. You know, and I, I, when he said that, I kind of look at him, I said, thank you, thank you, thank you for getting it. You got it, you got it. That is why the church exists. Now, it is because of this verse, the word Missio Dei comes about. Missio Dei simply means it's God's mission. So I want you to know, Mission, trying, and I don't mean mission by we got to go to another country. I mean, the, I meant mission by living a life where you know that wherever you are, you are called to show God's love to people who do not know. It's as simple as that. So the word Missio Dei really stems out from John chapter 20, verse 21, the verse that I read to you. And uh, mission is not just one of the many things that we do. You know how, how sometimes the church is, right? We do so many things. We got worship, we got kids' church, we got parenting class, we got marriage enrichment. We got so many things. We do so many things, all right? And during COVID time, we have Zoom call to talk about how to wrestle with this COVID thing. We do so many different things. And mission is not just one of the many things that we do. Mission is the very thing that makes us who we are as church. You remove mission we actually stop existing as a church. Did you know that? It is as simple as that. Mission embodies everything that God wants us to be. Now, so in the early, in the early church, this is what happened, okay? Now, I'm going to show you a little bit of map with the Missio Dei, which is carrying the mission of God. They went all over. So, around 30 AD, 30 AD was the day when Jesus uh, died, okay, around there maybe, resurrected. There's only this much, the gospel. You, don't, you, can, you can hardly see anything. There's some couple of, just a little bit of whitish color because Christianity is white, Roman Empire is uh, red. By the time of 70 AD, you see a little bit of white over here. Christianity starts to spread. Uh, and you see a bit of a pinkish color here because Paul started to, took the missionary journey. Church plans starts to happen. By the time AD 120, you find that there's a large area here all become pinkish. That's because the gospel started to penetrate. And the gospel went to the east huge. So what we know from the Bible is the gospel that went to the west 
That's what the book of Acts covers that part of the Bible. So we don't talk a lot about how the gospel went to the east. Eventually, the gospel that went to the east became what today is known as the orthodox. When we do church history in in the third quarter, we wanted to do church history over a pulpit. Very ambitious, but we wanted to help the church to understand the growth of the gospel, at least from a church historical point of view. Uh, you will, you will, we, will cut, we will touch about this area, how the gospel went towards the east and who took the gospel towards there. All right, and then you got Egypt, you got all the different parts. Uh, by the year 365, which is a couple of years after Constantine, the king, uh, so to speak, became a Christian. And by then, the gospel looked something like this. It went all over. And then, finally, by the time you hit 680, the gospel even went uh, all the way east towards China and all the other areas. Now, so you see, so 680 was potentially the biggest growth before Islamic came in. And there was the invasion of the Islam and changes the history itself. It is also that time that the church went through what we call the Dark Ages, uh, where the church was, because of institution, was became so corrupted, so political, uh, that till today, when the church think about the Dark Ages, every man and woman of God were embarrassed and ashamed of what human fallenness can do to even an institution that wants to honour God. All right? And that's all the reality. Uh, when we talk about church history, we'll talk about that. But what I want to show you was because of Missio Day, because of this little mission that God empowers, all that the church did was they just went and they preached the gospel. And you know what? By the time when the church went and preached the gospel, it wasn't complicated. They did not go and say, the Bible said no. They just go around and tell people Jesus was dead. He was alive. I saw him. He changed my life. Would you want Jesus to change your life? And with that, it was just thousands upon thousands and millions upon millions, one by one, uh, they come to know who God is. Now, I want, to, I want to say this statement. The church doesn't just have a mission. The church carries God's mission, and without that, we cease to be the church. Our job, it's not to create and craft out another mission. Our job is to say, God, you send Jesus. Jesus sent us. How can we be like Jesus everywhere we go? Now, footsteps to follow. I come to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. It was Paul who then tried to follow the footsteps of Jesus. But when he do so, he said it very differently. But it's the same thing. He said it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. The word received simply means you, there is an almagation to what you received. There is something that you receive that changes your life. That's why he said received. That means you, you not receive and just put it aside. It becomes part of who you are. It infuses into your value. It infuses towards the thinking. It infuses to the way you carry out your life. He says, and which you also stand. That means you stand your ground. You never gave in. When tough times come, when, when you felt like your finance was not in place and you are unclear about what's going to happen in the future, but you stood your ground for the gospel. He says, this gospel. He says, when you do that and if you hold fast to the gospel, he says, it is the same thing that will get you saved. Now, 
most of us, when we think about the gospel, we think about this part. We think about the being saved. We think about Jesus Christ coming into my life. I'm going to heaven. Praise God for it. Maybe some of us would try to understand what it means to receive the gospel. How this gospel can impenetrate my thinking, my value. How it changed the way I look at my wife. How it changed the way I parent my child. How it changed the way I look at my business. How it helps me to walk the way. Uh, every week, listening to the gospel from the church and I decide. And I really like one of our... Uh, one of our church friends, actually, whom there was one particular day when we last year when we did the Marketplace series, and then we talk about just, just righteousness. And, and this particular friend, he went back the next day. He says, Pastor, I was so moved by being righteous. I went back to my boss and I said, Boss, this particular product that we sell, it wasn't a good product. Can we take it off the shelf? Uh, I, I cannot sell this product because that, that is not righteousness. That is, I mean, he was so bold. He went back to the CFO, talked to the CEO. He says, could you take off this product because this product is not helping. It is not a righteous product. You know, when you, you think about, when you think about when the gospel penetrates your character, your value, and the way you treat your neighbor, the way you treat your wife and everything, that's so powerful. And then he says, it is also the gospel that you stand. That you make your ground when, when there are things that you don't understand. When maybe you are, you are struck with sickness and you don't understand why am I in... But you made that stand. And then it is also the gospel that you preach. So Paul tells us, he says, if you want to follow the footsteps of Jesus, he says, then live allowing the gospel to invade our world and change the way we live our life. Now, and in doing so, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, at the end, at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That means, uh, as we go about doing, sometimes we don't see the result that we wanted. Sometimes we really do not understand. But our labor is not in vain. Because in God's hand, there is a way God always takes our little, small, little effort and make it big and move in people's life. Uh, so, you know, and I, and, I, and I thought about this. I want to end with this uh, little story that you, you've heard it before. Uh, but... When I was working, when I was serving, sorry, when I was having the business uh, somehow together with Michael, uh, we have one employee, his name is Paul. So Paul actually ended up working with me was because he was cheated by another employer back in Damansara. So one day, Pastor Sean bumped into him and he was telling Pastor Sean, I've been cheated by my employer, I don't know what to do. So Pastor Sean called me. He says, I says, Pastor Tim, he says, this guy, Paul, he is looking for a job. He works in a restaurant, but he was cheated and he doesn't know what to do. He's stuck with his permit and everything. I met up with Paul. Uh, so I included Paul and he started to work for us somehow. Somewhere in the journey, Paul says, I want to come to church. So I made it available. He comes to church for our first service. And after that, he go back to surf uh, at us house. After about one year, one one year plus, one day Paul came to me. He says, Paul says that, he says, he says Pastor Tim, uh, actually I want to be like you. I want to follow your footsteps. Uh, I want to go back to Pakistan. I'm going to, I'm going to start a church. And you know, sometimes you hear this, it's like, great. 
But actually, I don't know whether how much people really want to do it. I say, you sure or not? I say, church is very difficult, you know. Better work in restaurant, easier. He says, sure, 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 sure. So he went back to Pakistan. A couple of months later, he showed me the first photo. He says, Pastor, I started the church. This is my church. A very small church about, you know, Sapgeiko, you know. He says, this, this is my church. It's about 10 plus people. And then, uh, and then he kept on saying, Pastor, would you come? Would you come? Would you come to Pakistan? So there was one particular day, uh, Pastor June and me, because of some church planting opportunity, we flew to Pakistan. Uh, and if you know, prior before we flew to Pakistan, there was quite a fair bit of bombing that's happened. Uh, so we were thinking and we were praying and we, we felt comfortable enough to go. Uh, what, was, what was interesting was the, the people that hosted us tell us this. He says, if you come to Pakistan, don't stay in the, in the hotel because that's where all the bombing happens. Uh, which is quite true, which is quite true. So he actually put us smack in the midst of a Muslim area and a rest house. He says that is the safest place to stay, Pastor, because nobody will bomb that place. I say, okay, okay, whatever you put us, we'll stay, okay? So when we passed by the hotel, it was big block of uh, stone because the car just cannot enter to the hotel premise because, because of the, all the drive-by, bombing, shooting, whatever, okay? So, so we were smack in a Muslim area and we stayed in a resort there which every one hour, they will ration the electricity. So every one hour, the electric will stop. Then one hour, on again. So every night, you sleep, you on, 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 on. I mean, it's just kind of, it was quite fun, okay, actually. And, uh, and, and the most funny thing was, when we went for the church service, we were actually at the rooftop. So it was like uh, two, three stories, shop, hot, shop house like that. And then there was this rooftop that connected everybody on. So we are this big rooftop, there's a big banner, evangelist, it was quite funny actually. Uh, we thought we're not supposed to be known, right? So he made it really big, you know, and then we're praying for people, cast out demons, you know, all of that. You know, it has passed on for, I don't know, more than 10 years. But today, Paul is still, is still a pastor. A couple of months ago, he sent me a picture of three people that he water baptized. This pastor, we are still preaching the gospel. You know, when I, when I kind of reflected all that, I would have never thought just by opening up a space for someone that was cheated as an employment to work and come to church. And one day, he actually became a pastor and started to pastor a church. And I thought about that. I thought about, are you following the footsteps of Jesus? And it's not about every one of us need to be a pastor, but every one of us needs to understand Missio Dei is really the mission of God. And God wants us to be the best banker that reflect who God is. God wants us to be the best entrepreneur that reflect who God is. God wants us to be the best housewife and husband and, and, and insurance agent and whatever you are, whatever you do. But you always walk away and say, God, how can I show the love of God to people who do not know? And that's the day when the Bible says, not the Bible says, when some author says that is the greater event than the greatest event of God sending Jesus is the day where you and I realize that I am now sent by God that no matter where we are, I'm called to show God's love to someone else. Can I go to amen? Why don't we stand?
I want to pray for your labor. I want to pray for that little bit of things that you do to, I don't know, to maybe your, your, your neighbor, giving them every year Chinese cookie and they never give you anything back. They show you faces, you know. They never give you anything back. It's because you must give them during Raya as well. And uh, all, all the campus students that you reach out to, maybe you adopted a child that you know is not doing well, and then every month you just be a blessing to that, to that little boy, to that little girl. And you never know. Because the Bible says, if we continue, our labor is not in vain. So I want us to just come and surrender as we try to live out by the grace of God. Missio Dei, the mission of God in us and through us to everyone else. God, we just come before you. God, we humble ourselves today. We want to follow your footsteps to, to seek and serve the lost, to love those who are far away from you. And sometimes what we do is so small and we potentially laugh at it and say, who would have thought just an outreach to a laborer who were cheated, but today planted a church. Who would have thought? Who would have thought in the most difficult time the gospel stood out for a particular person? So I pray, help each and every one of us to live our daily life, not just for us, but for you. So that every, every hour every day, every week, every person that we meet, Lord, we want to be a blessing. We want to be someone that cheer them and hopefully someone that we can show God's love. And it is in doing so, Lord, we are partners of you to bring the love of God to as many. So we thank you, we surrender our little efforts and the promise of God is it will not be in vain. Help us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of God. Lord, we bless everybody. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.